In our discussion of the power of positive confession, we began to look last week, and I think a little bit the week before, at the four principles God wants us to confess. As I listed last week, God wants us to confess these four principles. What we are in Christ, where we are in Christ, what we possess in Christ, and what we can do in Christ. Now, I don't know about you, uh, when I read the Bible, I always have questions about certain things that, that are said. Now, all of these things are in Christ, but my question is, why is everything in Christ? Do you all know? Besides being told. <laughs> anyway, we're going to look at why. It's a very simple explanation. So as we go forward with this lesson, let's be clear on why these four principles and positions, the positions that we have, are all said to be in Christ. Now to understand this, we have to go back to the beginning of everything with God. And that beginning is revealed in the Word, in the Bible, with the revelation in the Gospel of John. That's John 1, verses 1, 2, 3. It's actually, you can read the whole chapter with the first three uh, verses set forth. Why? That's Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1, 2, 3. In verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, we know that when we mention Word, we're talking here about Jesus, the Logos, the living Word. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. The Word was in the beginning with God. Three, and this is what's important, all of it is important, but in terms of understanding why everything is in Christ, uh, the third verse explains it. All things were made through him, him being Jesus, the word, and without him, nothing was made that was made. How much is left out of nothing? Nothing was made that was made. So we see here that God literally made the world and everything in it through Jesus, the living Logos or word. Everything God does, he does it through Christ Jesus. You'll see this throughout uh, the Bible, throughout the gospel. Thus, where we are, everything we possess, everything that we are, and everything we can do is made possible in or through Christ. And God started everything off this way. He ordained our salvation and had this salvation executed or carried out by Jesus. We are saved by the Father's grace through faith in his Son, Jesus, who we confess as Lord and Savior, according to Romans 10, 9, 10. Elanate and I were talking about confession last week at the end of the service, and uh, I was pointing out, and, and those of you who follow the teachings on television the last few years, you see how much emphasis is placed on grace. And, uh, and it's like grace is everything, you don't need anything else but grace. But I was pointing out to Elder Nate, and, and I said it forth here, is that you can never leave out faith. In other words, what they're saying is that faith is not uh, as important and not that important because grace covers everything. But there's a scripture in the Bible, and I didn't, I'm not going to tell you what it is. This, that's your assignment. We are saved by grace through faith. You've got to have faith. You have to have faith. So, and so that's your assignment today. So we confess uh, uh, Jesus as Lord and Savior according to Romans 10, 9, 10. 
So we start out our new life as a Christian believer with a confession for salvation. And our confession of faith in the word of God remains the vehicle by which we appropriate the things of God from the spiritual realm for our use here on earth. In other words, in the spiritual realm, faith is the currency, just like the dollar bill, or better yet, the Benjamins are the currency that we use to purchase things here on earth. Faith is how we purchase or acquire or appropriate things from the spiritual realm that we need here on earth is faith. Now, to give added emphasis to the importance of Jesus and confessing the word, we find this in Revelations, and I gave you the scripture last week. Revelations chapter 12, verse 11. It says, and they overcame him, him being Satan, by the blood of the lamb, it's Jesus, and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Now, as pointed out before, testimony is another word for confession. So we defeat the devil with the blood of Jesus and by the word of our confession, by what we speak and by what we say. And we saw how Jesus defeated the devil with the word in that example. It's in Luke chapter 4, verses uh, 1 through 13, where he simply said every time the devil presented a proposition to him, he said, it is written, meaning it's written in the word. And we went over that before, and I showed you where it's written in the Old Testament, what uh, Jesus was saying. Now, the next question that you ought to have is, why is positive confession so important? Confession, that is what we speak or say, is so important because it's rooted in this fact. It's rooted in the creative power of the spoken word. There's nothing more powerful than the spoken word. God shows us this, just think about it, how quickly you can tear somebody down or somebody's reputation. How quickly a tweet can disparage somebody or tear somebody down. You see this in social media all too often. It's driven some kids or youngsters in high school to, into committing suicide by what somebody said about them on a tweet and so forth. The, that was the written word, but the written word is all because they also said that about them as well. So the spoken word is so, so important because of its creative power. Now God shows us this creative power of his word in the first chapter in the book of Genesis where he spoke the world and everything in it uh, into being. As pointed out before, everything God did, he did with his mouth. Nothing came into being until God said it. Now, we also know that God created life and everything that was good. His words are life. They're positive and they're good. So we know that when we speak his word, we are making a positive confession that has creative life in it. Remember what Apostle Price tells us, and I quoted him a week or so ago. He says, God wants us to copy him. You have this at the bottom of your page. God is a talker. God is a sayer. God said, let there be. Be what? Let there be divine health in my body. Let there be, be what? Let there be sickness or disease in my body. And you can carry this forth, for example. Let there be abundance in my bank account. Let there be my promotion to manager or supervisor. Let there be. Speak it. Speak it. Speak it. Just as Ella Nate was saying, Ella Iva starts counting Christmas, the day of Christmas for the next year. But that's also an expression of faith, like I expect to be here for that Christmas. That's an expression of faith. Speak it. 
Now, let there be no sickness or disease in my body. Let there be what? No sickness or disease in my body. However, I need, I'm quoting Apostle Price, I need to say it. Remember, God requires us to confess not what we feel, not what we see, not what we understand, but what his word says, because our faith will never rise above the level of our confession. And like I confessed, confessed last week, as I was barely getting through the message with almost no voice, I said, in spite of what's appearing, I know I'm healed, I know I'm whole. And that's what we have to stand on in every situation, every challenge, no matter what it is, no matter what you see, no matter how you feel, no matter what you understand or don't understand, God's word is what should rule the day. Now, to put it more plainly, God wants us to use our mouth to create our own world of harmony, all sufficiency, and manifold good. We have the power. You have the power to create your own world. And by the way, you live in a world of your own creation, whether you know it or not. You have that power. <clears throat> now, later in the Bible, we see more evidence of the importance of what we say in Proverbs chapter 18, 21, a familiar scripture, we all know this, where we are told that death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's a lot of power. Now, it's interesting to note that death is listed before life in this scripture. Why? This is to give added emphasis and added importance to watching what we say. It's saying that with the tongue, you can create death instantly, that quickly and so forth. So it's saying watch your mouth as Eliva taught us some weeks back. We need to watch what we say. Now make sure we know the words that are life. God has given us these words in the Bible and these words include the four principles that we are now discussing in this message. The principles that tell us what we are, where we are, what we have, and what we can do in Christ. Now our confession is so important, our speaking, our saying, our confession is so important and powerful that we have another function assigned to Jesus by God that has to do with our confession. And this assignment that he gave to Jesus is to serve as our apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, you need to understand what that means. These are not just words in the scripture. We learn, from, we learn this, by the way, from Hebrews 3.1. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, which says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. So just as God watches over his word to perform it, Jesus listens to and listens for our confessions and stands ready to use them on our behalf. Here we're looking at the apostleship and priesthood of Jesus. Now let's be sure that we understand what this means. Earlier in this lesson, I dealt with what it means to be an apostle. And Ella Ivor has explained what an apostle is in her current Bible study lesson on a closer look at 12 ordinary men dealing with the original 12 apostles. Again, the word apostle simply means one who is sent. And in particular, one who was sent by God, by the way. So Jesus has been sent from God to do something for us. Jesus has been sent to serve as our high priest of our confession. Now, we tend to think of a priest, and I'm going through this to explain so you'll know what, what this means. We tend to think of a priest in an earthly function, in an earthly church, as a person who performs certain religious rituals and other functions as part of a church order. But as, God, as called by God, a high priest in heaven does so much more. 
He is one who is given the authority to administer, to execute, to implement, and to carry into effect. So the question you should have here is, what is Jesus authorized to administer, execute, or carry into effect on your behalf? Hebrews 3.1 says that Jesus is a high priest of our confession. What this means, because he's the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus has been sent, that's the apostleship, by God to put into effect, to execute, to carry out, to carry out the words that you confess or say. That's why it's so important that you watch what you say. But now you're protected in terms of the negative things you say because he's not going to carry those out. And I explain this in this next paragraph. This is so important for you to know. Jesus stands ready to execute, to put into effect, to carry out what you confess. If you are speaking sickness and how you feel and say, I am so weak and tired, what can Jesus do with that? He's not the high priest over sickness. He can't execute that. Those are not positive words and certainly are not positive confessions of faith. What does the Bible say? That's your source. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 24, we, we quote it almost every Sunday, that by his stripes you are healed, or you were healed, or you are healed. Isaiah says we're healed. 1 Peter 2, 24 says that you are healed by his stripes. And Joel, J-O-E-L, in chapter 3, verse 10, we hardly ever go to Joel, J-O-E-L, but in Joel, chapter 3, verse 10, it says, let the weak say, I am strong. So the minute you confess these words of truth about healing and about strength, Jesus can administer strength and wellness. That's why it's so important for you to confess the positive things that the word says about you. And then Jesus will take it from there and administer or execute those on your behalf. Now, thank God Jesus can administer sickness and disease or poverty or sin because he has already defeated all of these. Jesus is our high priest over deliverance and righteousness and freedom. Deliverance from any bondage, righteousness in terms of our sanctification and how we live, and freedom, freedom from anything that might be holding us in bondage. And he can execute these on our behalf. He can execute deliverance, righteousness, and freedom for us if, and I put that if in a quotation mark, if we give him through our confession those words of deliverance, those words of righteousness, those words of freedom that are contained for us in God's word in the Bible. That's why we study the Bible. So we'll know what the Bible says for us. And then we apply the words in the Bible by speaking and confessing, believing those words. And then uh, uh, the Father and the Son will carry those out on our behalf. So positive confession is saying what God's word says about you. Again, that is why God wants you to confess those four things that we mentioned earlier. What we are in Christ, where we are in Christ, what we possess in Christ, and what we can do in Christ. Fact one, what we are in Christ. We started this discussion already. I'll give a quick, quick summary here. I'm not going to repeat uh, what was said before. We have already begun the discussion of what we are in Christ. We have learned thus far that we are a new creation in Christ. We are told this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We have learned that this new creation means that our recreated spirit is new. Our spirit inside is new. This rebirth or regeneration of our recreated spirit restores our spiritual connection to God. That's so important because this was lost by Adam and Eve in the garden. 
This restoration makes it possible for God's spirit to indwell in us and flow through us as it was meant to be. That is so important. That's our connection to the Father, spirit to spirit. To bring about newness to our body and soul requires us to take additional action to bring the body and soul in alignment with our newly recreated spirit. Now, this work involves a renewing of the mind with the word of God, which can then lead to the transformation of the soul and ultimately the body. As Apostle Price writes, God's design is that my spirit man feed on the word of God so that my recreated spirit will direct and change my mind or soul and bring my body in line with God's word. Remember, the soul is a repository of your mind, emotions, and your intellect. You change your soul, transform your soul by transforming your mind. And how do you transform your mind? With the word of God. Now, with what the status as a new creation in Christ does to our standing with God was discussed in the previous message. I said it's all about our standing with God, this new creation. But briefly, what it means is that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You're in Christ, Christ is in you. You now have the life of God in you and your past is a spiritually dead being is over. The life in you is God in you. I'd say that to myself from time to time. The life in me is God in me. That is so important to be able to say that. You are now a child or perhaps a son of God and you are an heir of God and you're an heir with Jesus. Now, why do I, why do I say perhaps a son? We all know that every being is a creation of God. Not everyone is a child of God. You have to be born again to become a child of God. But people mistakenly believe that every child of God is automatically a son of God. No, what does the scripture tell us? And then you can look this one up on your own. As many as were led by the spirit, those are called, or may be called, the sons of God, led by the spirit, okay? So you're either a child, everybody in here is either child or son, or you're both, okay? I'm gonna assume that you are both. But you certainly are an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. This is all part of a new creation, being born again. You, have, you now have the power of the Godhead, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And you know, it, it, you, it's so easy to read that statement and make this statement. But you know what? I mean, you have any idea what that means? You have all the power of the Godhead in you at your hand to assist you wherever you need assistance. This is why you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, let's continue to explore what what else we are in Christ. We are complete in him. And we find this positive declaration about our status in Christ from the words of Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. That's Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 says this, Colossians 2, 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Ten, and you are complete in him. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Now, as I say at the bottom of the page, this scripture pretty much sums up the whole package of what we are in Christ. Verse 9 says that in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This means that Jesus has indwelling all the power of the Father. Father God himself as Son and the Holy Spirit. There's nothing in the whole universe 
that comes anywhere close to being equal to the power of the Godhead, the power of the Trinity. There's nothing that possesses the resource, the, the knowledge, the love, and the goodness that we find in the Trinity. So it's no wonder that the next verse, verse 10 says, and you are complete in him. Because if you have all of that, what, what else is there? Now remember that as a new creation, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. So all the attributes of the Godhead indwelling in Christ also indwell in you. And last time I gave you all the scriptures that say, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that your body is a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you not know that you, that, the, that the Christ Jesus uh, indwells in you and so forth? So what does complete mean? Complete means complete. Complete means entire or whole and lacking nothing. This means that you are lacking in nothing, no thing. How can you be complete in him and have an inferiority complex? If you are complete in him, how can you have low self-esteem? If you are complete in him, how can you not have the will and determination to focus on a goal and see that goal to completion, to achieving it? If you are complete in him, how can you not have the healing power necessary to combat any attack of sickness and disease. You just have to speak it, stand on it, act as if the word is true. You know, down through the years, I saw apostle. The reason I came out last week, even though I didn't feel good, and I came out the day that I fell and, and busted my lip and it was bleeding, because apostle says that by, the, the word says we're whole, so you have to act as if you're well. You have to act as if you're, and, uh, and we were talking about this last week. As you do something, it'll manifest itself. You remember the, the, the 10 lepers that were cleansed? What does it say? As they went. You've got to get in motion. You've got to do something. You've got to act on what you believe. That's faith. As Ellen A. just said earlier, faith is acting on what you believe. So you get in motion. You move. You do something. And so forth. You know, the, the, the other morning I woke up and this shoulder hurt. But you know, I said, thank God this one doesn't hurt. You know, if you have five fingers, if all four hurt and you got one that's good, then wiggle that one. Thank God for that. You can be grateful for something and then you can proceed so that the manifestation takes place in the rest of your body. Now, being complete in him is another way of saying you already have it. You already have everything from God that you will ever need to live the victorious overcoming life. You already have it. You are already a finished work and your job is to get into an awareness that it's done and this is really hard to do for a lot of people. You to stay in the awareness of that doneness that is done because as soon as something happens like you stub your toe and all of a sudden uh, you're not complete. <laughs> you're not this, you have to stay in the awareness of everything is done, no matter what's happening in, around you. As I like to say, things can happen to you, and they can happen around you, and they do, but they don't have to happen in you. The locus of control is in you. You can control what happens in you. Okay. Now, it is another way of knowing and acting on the fact that you have within dependence. I spent, I don't know how many lessons on this, maybe 10 or 12, describing how you are within dependent, that you have it. It's another way of saying that you already have it within you. And I spelled it out 
in an earlier message, uh, I think that was last year with Independence. Now, Apostle Price writes this. He says, when you begin to see yourself as complete and begin to confess that, that is speaking life to your life, it will cause you to live up to what God says about you. In other words, you speak it, confess it, speak it, confess it, and then you'll move into that confession that you are making. It is not a psych job. I'm quoting Apostle Price here. It is releasing the power of God, the power of God that's already in you, and the power of God is released by the words that we speak. We just read it. The word of God says we are complete in him. If we are not complete in Christ, then God lied to us, and the Bible says that he cannot lie, so we must be complete. Now, we need to see ourselves as God sees us. We are complete in Christ, who is the head of all principality and power. You are whole in Christ. Again, there's nothing left out of you. When God gave you that new recreated human spirit, there was no shortage in it. You have to see yourself as a new creation, and then you will begin to think and talk about yourself as a new creation. And all of a sudden, you will find yourself acting as a new person who demonstrates the righteousness of Christ. By speaking it and thinking it, you will find yourself acting out as a person who demonstrates the righteousness of Christ. You will begin to act in character with the way Jesus would act in any given situation. Now, the fact that you already have it does not mean that you don't have to work on shaping your life with the resources that have been given to you. You will have challenges and opportunities to falter, but you have the word of God as your support at all times. You have the Godhead dwelling within you if you apply this word. Now, I stated earlier in this message, we are, not today, but in early part, in one of the earlier messages, we are a work in progress, and there's always upward growth to be accomplished. There's always growth to take place if we falter. As the ancient Greeks tell us, never cease working on your own statute. In other words, you're never finished until they put your statute in that box. You, you keep working up until the end. Apostle Price puts it this way in very simple language. He says, I am a whole person in God. Now, that does not mean that I do not have to work on, sh on sharpening myself up but rather that I have all the necessary ingredients to be like Jesus. There's nothing that is left out. And, and if I will keep mixing the cake mix with my tongue in terms of confessing who I am, I will finally get the batter, the batter being my life, just the way it is supposed to be. I will have a beautiful cake with icing and candles on the top. Keep mixing, keep mixing the batter with the words that you have in the Bible that God has given us the positive words that he speaks about our life, who we are, where we are, what we can do, and what we have. Now, remember, we're talking about what we are in Christ. Let's see what else the word tells us. In Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 12 and 13, you have it at the bottom of the page. Look at what verse 12 says. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us, meaning he has enabled us, to partake of the inheritance of the saints in the light. 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us in the kingdom of the son of his love. We've been delivered from the power of darkness. So where we are in Christ Jesus here, we're in his kingdom. We're in 
the kingdom of his son. Now in verse 13, the word has is used. This is past tense. It's a past tense designation. It shows us that the time of the action has already taken place. This should be exciting to all of us. Has delivered us. Already done. Make the word of God personal and say, who has delivered me from the power of darkness? This means every one of us. What have we been delivered from? We have been delivered from the power of darkness. Now the word power means authority or dominion. So we've been delivered from the authority or dominion over darkness. And we know who reigns in darkness. That's Satan's kingdom. Now the word darkness in this scripture is not referring to nighttime. I don't think any of you thought that, but I just put it in anyway. It is talking about the kingdom of Satan. It tells us in the same verse that we have been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. That's Christ Jesus. You are in somebody's kingdom all the time. You are either in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. You're either in God's kingdom or you're in Satan's kingdom. And speaking of being delivered, Apostle Price writes this. Since God has delivered me from the kingdom and authority of darkness, I do not need any deliverance. I am delivered. God said I am delivered and God cannot lie. When I say I do not need to be delivered, I'm not making, again, I'm quoting Apostle Price, I'm not making an arrogant statement. I'm making a statement of fact based upon what the word of God says. How do I speak life to my life? I begin to say, praise God, I am free. Praise God, I am delivered. Delivered from anything that would hold me in bondage. Anything, whether it is sex, women, men, cigarettes, whiskey, gambling, lying, fear, or whatever. I have been delivered from all of it. So how do you act like one who is delivered? Bottom of the page. As I said before, one of the secrets to applying the word to your life is to act as if the word is true. We're told in no uncertain terms that we have been delivered from the power of darkness. This means that darkness in all of its variations have no more dominion over us. The deliverance is already there. You just have to activate it. How do you activate it? You activate it with your words by saying, I am free. I am delivered from all sinful acts. I am no longer in bondage to this or that or whatever. I am no longer in bondage. And that includes the sin of worry. And, and the, and to, see, worry is a sin. Because when you worry, as I said before, what are you doing? You're denying the word of God. That's a sin. And then after you make the confession that I am free and delivered, you then proceed to act like a person who is free. This means, and then you can, you can identify yourself in this next paragraph. This means that you pass up that bar or liquor store on the way home from work. It means that you walk past the newsstand or store that sells porno magazines. It means that you no longer visit those websites featuring pornographic materials. It means that you stop visiting Miss Mary's house of ill repute that parades as a massage parlor. It means that the next time you stay at a motel is for an overnight rest as you travel across the country, not for a two-hour layover. It means you refuse when offered a cigarette. Acting as if means you now act as if all these past practices past habits and places of visitation don't exist anymore. They don't exist for the new creation in Christ who is complete in him and who has been delivered from the power of darkness. And you can all call upon the power and help that's set forth in Philippians 4.13, which all of you know by heart. Philippians 4.13 says this. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you're not in it by yourself. You have all the help that you need. You just have to act on and release the power that's within you. You have to confess it and you have to act as if it's true. And then you have to do some obvious things in the natural. If you know that everybody is gambling on 35th Street and 7th Avenue after work, as some people do, then walk home on 36th Street or walk to the subway on another street. Don't go by there and be enticed. So that's what you do. If you know that a place has all kinds of fumes and aromas and odors that can make you sick, don't go into that place. It's as simple as that. So we're going to move on to from the curse to the blessing. And we're going to start this discussion this morning. Continuing to look at what we are in Christ. Galatians 3.13 tells us this. Christ, that's Galatians 3.13. For anyone listening via the social media, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse. Now, if we have been redeemed from the curse, this must mean that we are no longer where the curse is and that we have been lifted from. You are now somewhere that is opposite of the curse. In the Bible, the opposite of the curse is the blessing. Now, let's look at the complete picture that is found in Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Galatians 3, uh, verses 13 and 14. Verse 13 says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Now, redeem means to buy back. He has bought us back by his blood, by his shed blood. He's brought us back from the curse of the law. 14, and why are we redeemed from the curse? Number 14 tells us that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that's us. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So we've been redeemed from the curse so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. Now, Christ has redeemed us from the curse so that the blessing can come upon us. You see, the blessing and the curse cannot occupy one's life at the same point of time. You either have the curse or you have the blessing. You cannot have both. Apostle Price writes this in his book. Christ has redeemed me from the curse. This is who I am. I am from the curse. You thought my name was Fred Price, but my name is really from the curse. This is Apostle Price writing. Can you see that? This is where I am from. If I am from the curse, then I, then I am somewhere else. Where am I? I am in the blessing. Praise God for that. Now, before we talk about the blessing, let's make sure we understand the curse. You need to know what you have been redeemed from so that you can know what you have been redeemed to. Now, we find the curse under the law described in the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy. And we've gone over this before in past lessons. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15 says this, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all of these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Now, before we get to a listing of the curses, Let's understand a couple of things. How can these curses come upon you and overtake you if they are not already in existence? An automobile on the highway 
cannot overtake you unless the automobile is on the same highway that you are. The implication is that the curses are already on the same highway that mankind is on. However, when you observe to do all that is written in God's word, when you obey his word, you will stay ahead of the curses. Notice also in the verse the word commandment. Usually, when we hear the word commandment, we immediately think of the Ten Commandments, or we associate it with the Ten Commandments. Actually, the word commandment is a synonym for God's word, which is God's will. So this goes well beyond just the Ten Commandments. It means anything and everything that God tells you to do in the Bible. The reason it's called a commandment is because whenever God Almighty speaks to you, it is not a suggestion. It is commandment. It means that you must do this. Let's look at a list of the curses contained in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And they are listed at Deuteronomy 28 verses 16 through 19. Curse shall you be in the city, and curse shall you be in the country. In other words, that's everywhere. Curse shall you be, curse shall you, I mean, curse shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Now, the basket and kneading bowl, this is where you stored up excess, things that you were saving for a time in the future that you might need them. This was your accumulation. It was the same as we put money in the bank or we put money in the stock market today. Curse shall be your savings shall be your stock investments, your 401, and so forth. 18, curse shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock. In modern day language, that would be your business, your job, what you do for a living, and so on. 19, curse shall be when you come in and curse shall be when you go out. That is your curse everywhere. Now, these scriptures tell us of all the curses that shall come upon and overtake you. Again, this implies that the curse, curses are already here waiting to rain on you. Now consider the example that Apostle Price gives, and this is a really good example as an illustration. We all know that the Traveler's Insurance Company has a logo, which is a red umbrella. And around the umbrella, rain is falling. Underneath the umbrella, it is dry. The company's point is, is that if you are covered by their insurance policy, you are protected from all the adverse conditions because you're under the umbrella. The rain is representative of automobile accidents, fires, hazards, and other catastrophic insurable events. The word of God is like that umbrella. As long as you stay under it, observe to do all that God says, obey his word, then you have the protection of God's umbrella. The umbrella that is God's word does not stop the curses from coming down, nor does it do away with the curses so that they are no longer here. What it does is keep the rain, the curses, from falling on you. If you hold up the umbrella of God's protection, God's word, you can walk right through the storms and come out dry. It's a good illustration. Now keep in mind that the way these verses are worded, it appears that God is doing the cursing. It, it, it's when you go back and read it, it's like the Lord your God will cause these things to come upon you. And it sounds as if God will actually put these on you. Apostle Price has always pointed out that these verses should be rendered this way. The Lord will permit the curses to come upon you. But curses should not operate in a Christian's life. However, if you permit it by stepping out from under God's protecting word, then God has to permit the curse to operate in your life. If you permit it, 
God permits it. If you permit yourself to be sick, to be poor, God has to go along with you. you, uh, you he's, he's not going to violate what you permit. If you permit it, he permits it. The point is, is that you are the one who's in control. You're in control, and the way you exercise, exercise this control is by learning, believing, and confessing God's word. Sickness and disease are curses. So is poverty and fear. They're not blessings. God wants you to avoid the curse, and he tells you exactly how to do it. He says, if you observe to do, to follow his word, you will remain under the protection of his umbrella, which is his word. Apostle Price has certainly made a commitment to teaching us the word because he knows firsthand the life-affirming benefits of the word. He also remembers what it was like when he did not know the word. Apostle Price writes this, it is tragic, but I did not learn anything about these truths in the churches that so I, I want to thank all of you brave souls who years. braved the weather to get here. They did not tell me anything about this. And about to God's thank word. all of you brave souls who stayed Being here after you got here and found it was so cold. They did not tell <laughs> me that there was a curse. They did not tell me that I, the that if I observed to do the word of God, problems. that I could be exonerated from and the And they're working they on it. They did not tell me uh, We probably will get heat when we leave. They did, did not tell See, me. See, that's a negative confession. We're going to get heat during the service. Just pause right but how here. many of you remember 96th Street and some of those cold days on 96th Street? He made a I can remember going as never at 3 o'clock in the morning to try to get the boiler to work at 96th Street. I don't miss that aspect that's what of those days. And that's All right, let's go to the Father again in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again. To teach for this privilege and opportunity to gather around your life giving word. It was usually a matter of the things, and it is you and perhaps who gives to us not life, breath, and, and all things that pertain to life and godliness. Where they would we thank you for your word, which is a lamp, lamp to our feet and, and a guide to our to path. Scripture and read that scripture and, and we thank you that the knowledge of your word is indeed a guide to achieving the victorious overcoming life. And we give thanks. To you now, for the expiration and illumination good. of that word again you today. Feel good. But we thank you for Jesus, our Lord and Savior, spirit our great intercessor, high priest, and someday coming king. Your mind and, and your we soul thank you that it is by Christ Jesus and your life. that we have right standing and peace with you. And we thank you, Father, the blind for your the peace blind. that passes Jesus all told us understanding. If the blind lead the blind, Again, Holy Spirit, have your way and do what you do best. God said it many years ago. And lead us into all truth. And right now, and Hosea, Holy Spirit, I ask you four, six, to think through my mind we and speak through my voice as we continue the expiration Hosea, four, of the Father's six, word today. My people, we declare right now that our hearts and minds are alert, open, and receptive to an inflow of light and illumination it doesn't say that, that gives clarity to our giving, vision and direction to our step. Loving, and we agree that we will be a doer of the word of and singing, not a hearer only. For lack of Finally, praying. Father, we thank you that no all one will leave here today with their spiritual needs unmet. And for all that will be accomplished by your word and by your spirit, and the curse we again is agree in advance to you and you alone. It has no preference all the glory, color, praise, and thanksgiving. Gender, age, and it is in that name that is above every name we pray. Ever, the good Jesus the Christ. And we're going to close on the good news. The good news is that Christ has redeemed so us from the curse. In we the, are redeemed the from the second curse, week so the blessing of January come upon us. And we'll discuss the good news and, and the blessing I want next to time. 